0: Greetings, in Jesus' name, that risen Redeemer. That is why we can be here. Like we heard spade it so many ways this morning already. A few things I would like to say share before I I speak the message. I um, I wasn't paying attention with the time this morning, so the singing started before I sat down, so I came to sit down where I normally sit, and it was already full. I say, praise the Lord. I had to go the whole way back to the fourth row to find a seat, so uh that's a blessing. Thank you. Also, I uh, think of Brian and what he shared. I uh Everything in a nutshell, everything I want to share this morning about. (laughs) It's a blessing when you, in fact, I almost thought, well, maybe I need no need to get up. Then the blessing to see all you here, visitors included, to join in this service this morning. It is a Christmas morning, and we can see the focus on that. It's also the Lord's Day. It is the day where he, we commemorate his resurrection. And we have heard that this morning. You know, last night, there were some babies born. There were some babies born the night before. A year ago, there were babies born. You go 50 years ago. 51 and a half years ago. I was born 100 years ago, 500 years ago to uh, December 25th in 1516, there were babies born. So, what is so special about that one night, 2,020 years ago, when a baby was born? What's so special about that? Babies are born all the time. But one night, one baby boy was born in a little village in a Mideastern town, country. So, was it not just another normal night? Or well, you think, children, many babies born, just a normal night? They're just a normal baby, or what do you think? You know, if we go back in history... Last night was a night in history. A year ago was a night in history. And you could go back to this night in history. Maybe I should put a disclaimer in it. We don't know for sure he was born at nighttime. We actually don't know that for sure. He was announced at nighttime. But let's go back to this night in history, 2,020 years ago, where it got dark. And people lit their candles, lit their evening things, And then they snuffed their candles out and went to bed. That's a normal night. Whatever was normal for them, that's what they did. If you would have been there that night, you wouldn't have noticed anything different. Nothing. It's a normal night. In fact, I saw a population chart that estimated that 2,000 years ago, the world population was about 200 million people. That's an estimate. And to keep just the population steady, you would need about 10 or 12,000 births a day to maintain that population. But that one night, that point in time, a baby boy was born. He looked like a normal baby boy, and unlike That Christmas carol that we sing, no crying he makes, I'm sure he cried. In fact, he did everything normal little baby boys do. And I'll let your imagination run with what little baby boys do. Now, it appears that he was born in a stable. They say it appears that way because they put him into a feed trough, a manger, after he was born. And those are found in stables. But that's a little unusual, would you think so? But not totally. I mean, babies have been born any place you can imagine. They've been born in jungles. They've been born on airplanes. They've been born in the desert. They've been born in jails. Any place you can imagine, baby boys have been born. Or baby girls, too, for that matter. So it was somewhat unusual to be born in the barn, but not completely, not completely unusual. In fact, that was not the most unusual thing about this baby, that he was born in a stable. That was not the most unusual thing. This baby had a mother. This baby also had a father. But here is where it gets unusual. He had no human father. He had a human stepfather. That was Joseph, Mary's husband. But Joseph was not the baby's father. God was the baby's father. And so let's read in The one part here that you did not read this morning, Brother Matt. (laughs) In Luke chapter 1, we'll start reading at verse 26. And in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came in unto her and said, Hail, thou art highly favored. The Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. And the angel said to her, Fear not, Mary. For thou hast found favor with God, and behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus. He shall be great, and shall be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David, and he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there shall be no end. Then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be? She's not talking about his kingship. She's talking about this baby. Seeing I know not a man. And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. God's Son. This was not an ordinary baby that night. How much Mary understood, we don't know completely, Know, but she knew the prophecies. She knew the Old Testament. She was a Jewish girl. She was taught in the scriptures. We know that when she goes over to Elizabeth, her cousin later on, and just pours out that whole, whole, whole prophecy of praise is, has all the imagery of the Old Testament. So she knew, she knew what was going on, at least some. And her response was good, like we heard this morning already, and Mary said, behold the handmaiden of the Lord. Be it unto me according to thy word, and the angel departed from her. So this baby was a holy thing. The Bible says. Now that word "holy," holy thing, is actually one word in the Scripture, not usually translated that way, but it's the word "hagios," which is generally translated as "holy" or as "saint." When you talk about the Holy Spirit, you're talking about the Hagios Spirit. When Paul talked, wrote to the saints at Ephesus, he was talking to the Hagios at Ephesus, the holy ones. So this baby was holy. Now I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself, but I like to, as we go through this story, I like to uh, apply the scriptures to where we are today. And here's one time. If you are a Christian, you are also a saint. You're also a holy thing. (laughs) Same word. God uses the same word for you as he does for Jesus. The holy thing. You're described with the same word. And as a saint, you also are a child of God. Imagine that. But... We're not there on our own merit, or our own position, or our own goodness, like Christ was. Jesus was the only begotten Son of God, and He was holy. But we are holy, and we're also adopted sons of God when we are connected to Him. If we believe in Him, it's when we accept His kingship in our lives, that we enter into him, that we have the astounding privilege of becoming holy sons and daughters of God. But this special baby was born in a little town named Bethlehem a little over 2,000 years ago. Now, let's fast forward to modern times. Today we have a holiday called Christmas, which celebrates the birth of this child. It's what we call Christmas every year, December 25th. This Christmas is probably the most celebrated holiday in the world. I would guess so. I would think so. And there are many different traditions that have been established at Christmas. Some of them we are familiar with. We're familiar with the traditions in this country. It's Tinsels and lights and trees, nativity scenes, shopping, cookies, songs, food, family gatherings, gifts, cards, pictures, and special greetings, whether it's Merry Christmas or Happy Holidays and vacation time, there's an aura of goodwill and cheer and sentimentalism that envelopes us this time of the year. It permeates our society and our culture. It's generally a feel-good time of year. Now, I know for some, it's actually a difficult time. Some people that feel left out or are lonely or maybe had a loss during the year, it can be a difficult time of the year. But generally, when you go into the store or a place of business and you hear the Christmas music, a specifically peculiar feeling comes over you, me, and I become, feel myself becoming a part of the Christmas cheer. <laughs> the Christmas spirit. It's a festive time of the year. It's a time that someone said it's a time of sentimental smells and bells. But if we go back to the origin of holiday and see who this baby was, And we ask, what surrounds him? What surrounds this baby? Tinsels and lights and trees and nativity scenes and shopping and cookies and songs and food and family gatherings and gifts, cards and pictures and special greetings and vacations and red and white, no, red and green napkins. (laughs) Our modern traditions fit quite well, don't they? Or don't they? Maybe we ought to consider maybe how truly scriptural we are. Well, that's not the point of my message this morning. That was a side note, okay? Just think about that. Because it was a special day in history. It was a special day. Not in the way that we often celebrate it today, or uh, the way it is. But it was a very important time. Galatians 4, 4 and 5 says this, But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. Now, you could have a whole message on those two verses, (laughs) because it includes the scope. But this morning, who was this baby? Was he like any other human baby? Did he come into existence at conception? How I mean, you children don't know what that means, maybe, but did he come into existence at conception? As I heard some parents talk about their children, uh, talk about Years ago, before their children were born, they say, well, it was back when you were just a twinkle in God's eye. Used a way to describe that. Because there was a time when you weren't. So you were just a twinkle in God's eye. You didn't exist yet. God knew you would be born because he knows the future. But there was a time when you and I did not exist. You know, they have this sentimental scene sometimes. I don't know if it's in a poem. I don't remember reading it about this scene in heaven where there's a special needs child going to come onto earth. And in heaven, there, this conversation goes on. And they were deciding uh, who's going to be the special child. Which one of these spirits up here is going to become that special child? I don't know if you ever heard that one or not. It's a sentimental way of dealing with some of the The difficulty and pain of having a special needs child. And I can understand that at least a little bit. But it's not scriptural. It's not scriptural. God creates us at conception. Now that we are created, we will exist for eternity. We will exist forever. We will have no ending. Our bodies will die because of the curse of sin. But our spirits will live forever in eternity somewhere. It'll be either eternity in the presence of God in heaven, or on Earth, depending how your theology is, or eternity with somewhere, somewhere without God in hell. But the point is, we had a beginning. And the question is, did this little baby in Bethlehem have a beginning and come to existence at conception? One generation ago, there was a sewing factory at a place called what's now called the Effort of Business Center. That was There were hundreds of people that worked there before the clothing industry and the garment industry went overseas. But don't worry about that. It's coming back now, I'm hearing. That's a side note. There was a sizable minority of Mennonite girls who worked at that factory and alongside the general populace. populace. And there was music being played at that factory all day long. I still remember, I never worked there, but I heard of those who did. And this was this station, it was a radio station, KISS 101FM, Soft Rock. And are you familiar with that station? I hope not. (laughs) Day in and day out, they heard this radio, each radio station has their, in between their program, they have their theme statements, whatever. And it was KISS 101. Well, there's a group of men like girls that made an appeal to management that at least some of the time they would broadcast Christian music across the factory speakers. And so that the management actually agreed to do that. So here we go. One or two days a week. While we're sewing the onesies and the other other baby clothing that they're sewing there, they're listening to Christian music instead of soft rock. One of the songs that was played created quite a stir and actually a backlash from the general populace. From the non-Mennonites. It was a song about Mary and her holy child whom they named Jesus. It's a very theologically accurate song. So I thought I'd like to read it this morning and maybe explain why it was so offensive. The wonder of wonders as she looked on his face, let talk about Mary and Jesus, that this little boy spoke the worlds in their place, the stars and the moon shining brightly on them, the earth and the sun were created by Him. You know, there are wonders that amaze us. We are amazed by wonders. And then there are the wonders, the wonder of the wonders. There is the most amazing wonder, the unbelievable, the incredible, the most astounding and amazing thing has happened that this little baby was the God that created the world. Mary had a lot of things to ponder in her heart, I am sure. The wonder of wonders as she heard his small cry that this voice had thundered on Mount Sinai. The hand that she held so tenderly had made a dry path through the mighty Red Sea. That's incredible. And so you might wonder, well, what by what now are the people thinking that are not familiar with this? I'm not sure, but it's the last verse that got them to rise out of their seats in protest of this new mu- music routine. The wonder of wonders, as she looked down and smiled, that he was her maker as well as her child. He created the womb that had given him birth. He was God incarnate come down to the earth. Whoa. This is too graphic. This is too explicit. Give me back my soft rock. Give me back my ashes of love or whatever they were singing on there. I can't stand any more of this. But the point is this, Jesus did not begin at birth. He did not begin to exist when, the, when he was conceived in Mary. At the chorus goes on, the wonder of wonders, oh, how could it be that God became flesh and was given for me? The Almighty came down and walked among men, the wonder of wonders, he died for my sin. First, I mean, John records in John 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. And then down at verse 14 that was read this morning, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So who was this baby, this special baby that was born back then? He was the very God of the universe coming out of eternity, coming out from heaven and coming down as a baby. Stepping into time and into a body of flesh. There was never anyone like him before and there will never be anyone like him again. He was very, absolutely unique. It's the promised Messiah lying in a feed trough. Now what? It's just a normal night. He's one of 10,000 babies born that day. Nobody knows he's here. Nobody's going to come to this stable and look. So, oh, but heaven knows he's here. Heaven knows he's here. The spirit world knows he's here. They know that this has never happened before. Now, when it comes to God's plan of salvation as it's unfolding for thousands of years, it started there in Genesis where it says how the seed of the woman is going to, or the serpent is going to bruise his heel, but the seed of the woman is going to bruise or crush his head. So the angels knew that and as they went through and you had Abraham and you had Moses and you had David and you had all the minor prophets the angels know something is going on they don't know everything but they know a lot and they have an intense interest Peter it says that the angels have a desire to look into the salvation that Peter was talking about they're experiencing so the angels know it and they have an intense desire In Peter, the way Peter says it, the angels have an intense desire to look into and understand. The look into is the idea of bending down to observe, is to take a close look. The angels are involved here. And they know it. And now it's happening. So, God the Father gives them assignment. Go announce His birth. Is that done at all? Does anyone announce the birth of their child? All those 10,000 babies that were born that night? I'm sure many of them had some kind of announcements. How do we announce the birth of our child? It's a joyous occasion. But here's Mary and Joseph. They have a baby. How are they going to announce the birth of their baby? They're far away from home. They are under the cloud that this is an illegitimate birth. They're under that cloud. Can we even announce it? Because Mary was conceived before they were married. And how could we ever give justice to who this child really is? I don't know if they worried about it or not. Like to think about it, you think they worried about it. How are we going to do this but they didn't need, they didn't have to worry about it if they did. <laughs> let's see how the birth announcement happened, and so we can turn to Luke chapter two, and I'll read some of what was read this morning, Luke chapter two and verse eight. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the fields, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone around about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. This is a birth announcement. Shepherds are out in the field. It's dark. And it's not dark like it's dark here. It's dark like it's in Africa, I suppose dark and suddenly it was broad daylight as an angel came and told these shepherds this message told them that the Messiah had come now do you remember do you remember those angels that are intensely looking on and uh, are are really have an interest here. What are they doing while this announcement is going on? They're back in the wings. They are waiting till they get the word. They are bursting. Did you ever have some news that was secret and there was a time given when you could announce it? It was really good news, but you couldn't say anything. You had to hold it back. But finally the time came. Well that's how it was for these angels. That are stooping and bending with intense interest in what's going on. Thousands and thousands of angels. Maybe millions and millions. Don't know. And they get the news. They're just waiting. For the time when they can worship. And praise the goodness and glory of God to these shepherds. And so. The time comes, and the angels say, "Yes, now's the time." And they come out, and they give it all they got. That that must have been a glorious night. I I just can't imagine what that was like, with those angels with their worship and praise of what was happening. And suddenly, there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill to men. The birth announcement. This couple, Mary and Joseph, did not go and hand out cigars like before my generation did. Neither did they go hand out Hershey's candy bars like my generation did. They didn't give out e- emails or whatsapps or pretty photos of a baby in a basket or something else cute like that. No, none of that. Just an angelic choir praising in the heavens the glory of God. That's the only announcement they had. An announcement that would make Handel's Messiah look pretty dull in comparison. I would dare say. For those of you who like Handel's Messiah, okay. (laughs) And he was announced. And it came to pass, as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, that the shepherds said to one another, Let us now go, even unto Bethlehem, and see this thing which is come to pass, which the Lord has made known unto us. glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told unto them. Well, those are the angels that were announcing his birth. And did I tell you that angels have an intense desire what's going on? Did you also know that there are fallen angels? And the fallen angels have an intense desire of what's going on too. Those angels that disobeyed God when they joined Lucifer in his rebellion, when he wanted to be God. The Bible actually doesn't mention the wicked angels in this context, but we know that demons affect men. They motivate men. And they do influence wicked men, and it seems that that's what was occurring here. Sometime goes on, we don't know quite how long, maybe days, maybe weeks, probably weeks or months go by. And here, some people called wise men show up at Jerusalem. And they go to the king, and they tell him, hey, where is the new king? We have seen his star rise in the east. No, we were in the east. We saw his star rise. Yeah, the stars rise in the east, right? Okay. We saw his star. And we have come here to find him and worship him. And this is King Herod. And so he gets the uh, religious leaders together and say, Now, what's this about a king? What's this about a king? And so they are they are students of the Old Testament scripture. And they say, yes, it says here in, I um, don't know if I have it written down or not. But there in Bethlehem, there in Micah. in Micah there, it talks about in Bethlehem. Um didn't write it down. But yeah, they're there in Bethlehem. Why? It's in Matthew, by the way, if I look at it. But I'll just tell the story. In Bethlehem. There's going to arise a, Jew, uh, uh, a king that will be a king to my people. Uh, maybe we have to look at it. Let's look at Matthew chapter 1 chapter two. And thou, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, art not thou the least among the princes of Judah, for out of thee shall come a governor. That shall rule my people, Israel. So, that is what, uh, that's what the religious people told, told Herod. And so Herod tells the wise men, now you go to Bethlehem and you go find the baby. And when you found him, come back to me so I can come worship him also. Well, this Herod, we could say was a demon-influenced man, tells them to go, tells them to come back, but he has an ulterior design. And so the wise men go, they find the baby, they worship him. That's what they came for. And they give him gifts. And then God warns the wise men not to go back and report to Herod, As they have been told to and so they went home another way. Now, do you remember the angels that were so excited about the good news? They were so excited about, they were just waiting and they're just bursting with that news that they could give. Here we have the same kind of passion on the opposite side. We have that emotion in reverse. Herod, when he finds out that they went home another way, is bursting also. He is bursting with emotion. But it's not with anticipation. It is anger. The Bible says he was wroth, exceeding wroth. He was furious. He was enraged. If you would have been there in that Wherever he was, when this happened, you would have known that the king was mad. And when the king is mad like this, heads are going to roll. And all you can hope is, is not you're not in the way of those rolling heads. Because this king is enraged. So, off to Bethlehem go the soldiers with the orders to go into every house and ripped the children, the little baby boys out of the hands of their mothers and their fathers and snuffed their life out. Such is the fury of the devil using the eagle of a heathen king to destroy the Messiah. You know, that's all of it. Some families could have lost two little boys that day. But where was Jesus that day? That day, when they went and did their horrible orders from headquarters deeds, he was on his way to Egypt. How come? And we can ask the question, maybe it relates into last week's message, which I didn't hear. I wasn't here to hear it, but I did hear it on, uh, who's in charge here? Is Herod the king in charge? Is the devil in charge? Who's in charge here? Well, I'd like to mention, it did look like God was defeated if you looked around Bethlehem and looked at the scenery, it looked like God was not in charge. All those babies were killed. There was an enormous lamentation. There was crying. There was weeping. Where was God? By all appearances, it looked like he didn't care. God is nowhere. And if he cares... He must not have the power to do anything about it. Or maybe he doesn't even care. God, where are you when we are hurting so? Why do you allow this to happen? Why don't you stop this horrible nonsense? Who is in charge? God is in charge. And he will not defeat it, be defeated, because his plan will go on. The devil will not defeat his plan. Today, wherever you are at today, are you wondering where God is? We have the refugee crises. We have the wars. We have the accidents and disease. We have relationship problems church problems, family problems, injustice and hatred. We have heartache and confusion. Where in the world is God? There's a song that puts it together. I'd like to comment a little bit. And the reason I'm asking this question is because in Bethlehem, it looked like God was not in charge. To the human eye, it looked like God was not in charge. A song that pulls it together so well. Immortal, invisible, God only wise. In light, inaccessible, hid from our eyes. That's who God is. Now this is what he does. Unresting, unhasting, silent as light, nor wanting nor wasting, thou rulest in might. God is not ruffled. In a sense, He's not even disturbed. His plan is not in danger. He is behind the scenes. The child Jesus is being taken care of. The plan is moving forward. Neither Herod, nor the devil, nor his angels, nor what is going to thwart his plan. Romans 8.38 And this we can apply to our life today, for I am persuaded, I am persuaded, that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You know, it's not all as it seems to the natural eye. We need to have spiritual eyes. If we look at our world and our situation today, we need to have spiritual eyes. Eyes of faith that see. This is a fallen world. There are a lot of things going to be wrong with this world even in areas that we think shouldn't be wrong, are going to be wrong. As I was thinking of that, I thought of this one thing um, I was reading this week in John, and when Mary, the mother, not the mother, the Mary, the sister of Lazarus, took that precious ointment and poured it over Jesus, that expensive ointment, It was Judas Iscariot that said, scolded her, basically, said, why didn't you sell this so that it could be sold for a lot of money so we would have money to give to the poor? But then it explains why he said it. He said it's because he didn't care for the poor. He was a thief. He helped himself with the money that was raised, however they got their money. And I thought of it. Jesus, you didn't even keep corruption out of your own disciples. You would think that shouldn't, of all the places there's corruption in the world, you would not expect it inside that disciples. But it was. And so, there's a lot of things wrong in this world, even in areas where we think surely it shouldn't be wrong. But it is. But you know what? Even this man, Judas, with his corruption, with his covetous heart, was part of God's plan. That, that stretches our mind a little harder, almost a little more than we like to. This wicked, covetous heart was a part of God's plan. And by the way, the thief did not get away with anything. He paid, and he's still peer, paying dearly for that covetous heart. You know what took Judas down? Covetousness. And we don't hear very much about the sin of covetousness. In fact, we can hardly identify it. We had difficulty identifying it. But one of the most wicked people in the world, Judas, which what he did, it was the sin of covetousness. He paid dearly for that. If we, we will also, if we have that in our hearts. But God was in charge. God is still in charge. His plan is moving forward. And he does not need your cooperation to get it done. I'm not sure how your message all last week was. I, I don 't I don't know if I know the gist of it. It's interesting to have an active discussion on that one. But God does not need our cooperation to get his plan done. Now we are affected by how we enter into God 's plan, but God does not need us. But He is asking you. And me, he's asking us to do what Mary did. What did Mary do? She's without understanding all the implications of what she was agreeing to. She said, Behold the handmaid of the Lord. Be it unto me according to thy word. That surrender, that giving up to whatever the Lord wanted, She has been called blessed forever since that time. She's been called blessed ever since. And so the true path of greatness and significance and fulfillment is in this. Yielding to God and aligning oneself with the eternal purposes of God. Of course, one could say, Judas, he lined himself up with God's eternal purposes too. (laughs) It was God's eternal purpose what he did, and he was perfectly lined up to it. How shall we understand that one? I remember John D. Martin telling of stories of when he was a boy sitting in a Mennonite church, and back then there were some boys on the back benches of the church not behaving. Right, today they are in the front benches, praise the Lord, chairs. And the preacher would look back at those boys, and he would tell them, "Say, young men, he said, God is going to use you. God is going to use you. And he says, up to you how he's going to use you. And then he gave reference of where... In Timothy, where Paul talks to Timothy about in a great house, there's going to be vessels of gold and silver and it also of, uh, no, no, vessels. I think I'm getting two scriptures mixed up here. There's precious vessels and then there's common vessels, whichever verse that is, scripture that is. He said, you can be used as a vessel of gold or one of those beautiful vessels, some vases to, to uh, show off or... You can be the slop bucket underneath the sink and have rotten tomatoes put into you. So that's up to you. God will use you. But it's up to you how he will use you. Mary was used of God. Judas was used of God. They both made their choices. Freely made their choices. With the free will, right? Right? okay but it turned out so different which one will you be a vessel for display or a slop bucket under the sink as jesus was formed in mary's womb so we as christians Jesus is being formed in us. And no pun intended. But if Jesus is being formed in us, it eventually should show. You can make the connection. Okay, I you know the song Heart the Herald Angel Sing, that beautiful song by John Wesley. Actually Charles Wesley. I'm confused. Which one was the preacher and which one was the songwriter? Was the preacher, Charles, was the songwriter. So, Charles was the songwriter, so it was Charles who wrote it. I am assuming. I, you know, that song is that song is so full of doctrine. Uh, you can just that song amazes me. Maybe we have to sing it at the end here. I remember going through a Walmart—not a Walmart. It was a Kmart about ten years ago during the Christmas season where it got my into the Christmas cheer or whatever. And um, and they were playing Heart the Herald Angel Sing. And they had the words. Sometimes they just had the music, you know. They had the words. And I was in there and I heard Born to give them second birth, born to raise the sons of men, born to I can't think of the words right now. And I thought, Wow are we people listening, are the people here listening to what is actually being sung? And I imagine, well, it's just Christmas music, it's sort of rhetoric, and it doesn't sink in. But I did find a proper ending to that song, and I'd like to read that here at the close of this message. It's it's a verse that someone else wrote that doesn't deal with baby Jesus. Christ the King will come again. He shall reign o'er every man, gifting eternal rewards, King of kings and Lord of lords. First as servants did he come, soon as Lord with victory won. Knees will bow and tongues proclaim Jesus' name above all names. He's supreme with no more war. Christ will reign forevermore. Heart the herald, angels sing, glory to the coming King. Jesus came as a baby, and then we heard about his life. Now he's in heaven, there will be a second event when he is coming back for his people. For his people, for his vases, not for his slop buckets, but for his beautiful vessels in that house of God. Why don't we just pause for a word of prayer. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for coming, entering into time, Lord, being willing, Lord, to breathe our air. Our soil and our food and our troubles, Lord. You came where we lived and interacted with us. You became as one of us so that, Lord, you could take us to be as one of you. Lord, that mystery, that awesomeness of it, Lord, help us, Lord, to fully actualize it in our lives and then proclaim it. Proclaim it, Lord. To those around us and across the world, you are God come into, into, wor- into this world to redeem mankind. We thank you Lord in Jesus name. Amen.